before we get started, just by way of a couple of announcements so that we can um, we'll make those now so that we can end with the Lord's Supper in an appropriate manner. So um, if you have your bulletin, if you didn't get a bulletin, you can pick one up. But March 25th, want to mark your calendar for March 25th. That um, should be a Saturday night. We are going to have uh, a night of worship. We're just going to uh, sing and let Gary and, uh, and Rob and Treva play. And uh, we're just going to worship the Lord together. And that'll be on a, a Saturday night. Um, I don't think we've really set a time yet, but... Uh, we'll let you know. So mark your calendar, March 25th, uh, Saturday. March 26th is our quarterly business meeting. And then April 8th, the wedding shower for Olivia. We announced that last week. April 9th is then Easter Sunday. April 14th, spring bonfire and camp out. And then on May 20th, um, Olivia and Trevin uh, are to be wed. So we will, uh, and the church is invited to uh, to their wedding. So we have a number of announcements, things coming up, so mark your calendars for those. Again, if you didn't get all that written down, you can uh, get a bulletin and be there for you. Well, Tuesday is, as you know, uh, or hopefully uh, you remember, uh, Tuesday is Valentine's Day for you gentlemen. Uh, if you're like me, I only remember because somebody told me last week, and so I, I appreciate the heads up on that. So... Um, we're talking today, as we observe the Lord's Supper, the greatest love. What does that really mean when we talk about loving someone? And I know on Valentine's Day, we talk about loving someone in a particular way, in a sort of a romantic way, and what have you. But what do we mean when we say we love someone? I mean, Jesus in the Gospel of John Chapter 15, verse 13 says this. He says, This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. So far, so good. Then he says, Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give you. This I command you, that you love one another." He begins that short passage by commanding them to love one another as he has loved them. That's a new commandment. Before that, the, the understanding was that you, you loved another as you love yourself. And Jesus ups the ante on us a little bit and says, the new commandment that I give you is to love one another as I have loved you. And then he says, greater love has no one than this. They lay down their life for their friends. And that's how he has loved us. So what does it mean that we, we should lay down our lives for one another? You know, if you think about it, there are people in your life, particularly 
and probably your spouse that you would die for. If you're a parent, there's uh, most parents uh, would die for their children if they had to. I mean, what, what wouldn't you do for your child, right? So, I mean, there's a sense in which we understand what it means to lay down our lives for one another. But the truth of the matter is, it is easier to, to do laying down your life that kind of way than I think what are the greater implications. Because in a moment, I could give my life for my spouse, or I could give my life for my child. And it'd be over in a moment, and I go on to glory. But what does it mean to lay down your life? It means more than just that moment of dying for someone. When it says lay down your life, it means just that, lay down your life. Not just the last moments of it, like I said, giving your life and dying for somebody, but laying down your life as in all of it. How do we lay down our life? How did Jesus lay down his life? The word love is used 57 times in the book of John. It's used in the book of John more than the other three gospels combined. He talks about loving one another. This is the chapter of the book that tells us that God so loved the world that gave his son. He calls us to love one another. This, this, this is how they'll know that you are my followers, because you love one another. And over and over he talks about loving one another, and then he says this laying down of your life. What does that really look like? Well, first of all, laying down your life means more, as I said, than just being willing to die for someone. It means emptying oneself. We turn to Philippians, rather. Philippians chapter 2. We have some verses that I think flesh out what it means when we, when we choose to love someone. And this is what Paul tells the Philippians if therefore there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And he tells them to do three things that I think exemplify laying down of one's life. And he says, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Secondly, he says, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. And thirdly, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves. Now, your, your Bible may or may not have a comma after yourselves, but when he says, have this attitude, he's not going to talk about this attitude following. He is saying, this attitude that I've just described to you, with these three things in mind, do nothing from selfish conceit, consider other people more important than yourself, and look out for others' needs as well as your own. Have that attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ. So he tells you what attitude he wants you to have. We're not going to do anything from selfish, of selfish conceit or in arrogance, some translations 
say, but it's not the idea of conceitedness and arrogance alone. It's the idea that somehow you are more important or you're the primary focus of your own life. You've heard the, you've heard the saying and, uh, you know, used to be on T-shirts and bumper stickers. You look out for what? Look out for number one. And who is number one? Oh, in that reference, it's always yourself, right? You got to look out for number one. Well, who says you're number one? Paul seems to say, you're not number one. I'm not number one. Well, then what number am I? Well, that depends on how many people are in the room. <laughs> because you're last. Right? I'm last. I have to consider, he says, other people more important than myself. Well, that would change a lot of relationships, wouldn't it? That would change a lot of business meetings. That would change a lot of churches. That would change a lot of marriages. That would change a lot of friendships and family relationships. If we would just learn to do, as Paul has said, and do nothing out of vain conceit. In other words, you don't have to have it your way all the time. We lay ourselves down, laying down our lives, and do nothing from vain selfishness or conceit. And with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than yourself. That's a tall order. But he gives us an example. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And what did he do? He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. When Jesus laid down his life, he didn't just lay it down on the cross. He laid down his life, all of it, not just the end of it, not just the last three hours or so hanging on the cross, not just the last week of the passion, not just in the garden when he prayed for us and sweat great drops of blood, not just when he was nailed to the cross, but he laid down his life when he walked away from his glory and came in obedience and dwelt among us. That's laying down your life, emptying yourself. have that kind of attitude in you. What kind of attitude is that again? Let's see, I do nothing from selfishness, consider other people more important, and look out for others' needs. Why would I do that? My Lord's asked me to. And the words no and Lord never go together. No is not an option to the Lord. If he asks you to do something, then that's what we're supposed to be doing. But this is such a tall order. Because not only are we supposed to do this for people that we actually like, we're supposed to love people that we don't like. And in our culture, we think of love and like kind of the same thing. Love is just sort of more intense feeling of like, liking someone. Like I like someone, I can really like someone, and then I love someone. Okay. Well, love is an action. Love is to have this kind of attitude towards somebody, and you can actually love people that you don't particularly like. 
In fact, we're supposed to love people that we don't like. I mean, isn't that what Jesus says when he says, pray for those who curse you? Bless those who curse you? Now that, that gets harder all the time. Because it's easy to lay down and be self-sacrificing for somebody that you deeply care about. It's easier, I'm not saying it's always easy, but it's easier to lay down your life and consider your spouse more important than yourself. It's easier to consider your children or your family or spouse or maybe fellow church members. It's, It's easier to see them as more important than you. But what about people that you work with that are irritating. And I know nobody here works with anybody irritating. Uh, Except the people that work with you. But anyway, (laughs) love them. They're more important than you are. To you, if we have this attitude that was in Christ, he found, he found us more important than himself, and so he emptied himself and came in obedience and suffered, not only suffered, but even unto death, and not only death, but death on a cross. He emptied himself, and so if we empty ourselves, it's laying down our life. It also means to interpose yourself for somebody else's gain. Not just emptying yourself and being kind to those that are kind to you, and not only considering other people more important to you, but to actually take affirmative steps for the benefit of someone else. And then if you really want to be Christ-like, it's not only for the benefit of someone else, but injurious to yourself. He laid down his life and interposed himself for the benefit of others and was grievously injurious to himself. And we are never more Christ-like than when we bless others and it costs us to do it. Most of us, if we're, if we're honest, even when we give sacrificially and we, we give to, to people and we bless them, we... Even though we say, look, I don't want them to know, you know who this is from or I don't want them, uh, this person that I want to bless, I, I don't want them to know that I do. We kind of really do want them to know because it, we kind of want the credit for it. Or maybe I'm the only one. I'll just, I'll, I'll stop confessing because, you know, but we, we kind of want people to know a little bit. I mean, a little, you know, a little gratitude. But what if we just chose, you know, I'm, I'm going to bless somebody truly anonymously and it's truly going to hurt me. It's going to wound me. It's going to take the thing maybe I've been saving for. Maybe I've been putting money away. I'm, you know, I'm going to, something that I've been wanting and I'm going to take that and I'm just going to bless somebody else with it and not have what I want. Well, maybe it's not even a material thing. You know, maybe, maybe we were saving up to go somewhere. 
but we choose to do something that costs us for the benefit of another. Well, that's what Jesus did. He said, well, you can't, you can't become a doormat, Pastor, because, you know, if you just let people, you know, walk all over you, if you just let, if you put everybody else first all the time, who's taking care of you? Who's taking care of number one? Well, Jesus will. He tells us he will. He promises he will. You see, he came to give us, he says, not only life, but life abundant. It wasn't just saving us from God's wrath, which he does. He goes beyond that and then goes on to blessing. So sometimes you're like, well, I'll help this person or whatever in their time of need. And so I'll help to the level of the need. But what about going beyond somebody's need and just for the sheer joy of blessing somebody else? And I'm not just going to meet your need. I want to take you from kind of being at an even keel to blessing. And that's what Jesus did. He came and laid down his life and he said, I came to give you life, but not just life, life abundant. Well, that's, that's tough. And it's tough because even those people that are hostile towards us, we're supposed to bless Why would we do that? Well, Hebrews says that Jesus laid down his life. It says, but we see him, Jesus, being made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom all things, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. It was fitting for him. He laid down his life for us. And why did he do it? Hebrews 12 tells us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Why would he do that? For the joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? His own crowning glory? He already had that. He gave that up for the joy set before him. So if that's not the joy set before him, what is the joy set before him? Well, you're seated right here. That was the joy set before him to bring many sons to glory. In other words, your redemption, my redemption, and the redemption of all those for whom he died. That was the joy set before him. He laid down his life. Who would you lay down your life for this morning? Oh, and I don't mean the easy thing of taking a bullet for somebody or you know, being willing to die for somebody, who would you lay down your whole life for? Day in, day out, hour by hour, 
self-sacrificing, considering others more important than yourself, looking out for their needs above your own. Who do you want to lay down your life for? You think, well, I... Family? Sure. Spouse? Absolutely. Your children? I think most of us do that. What about strangers you meet? What about the person that cuts in front of you or butts in front of you in line at Walmart? Because they act like, you know, they don't know what lines are, you know. What about, well, my infamous example, what about when, you know, they try to rip you out of seven tubs that you paid for, they only bring you one. What about that poor guy? Who are you laying down your life for? Ultimately, we lay down our life for one. We lay down our life minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, for the one who laid down his life for us. We lay down our life for Christ. And what he has told us to do is consider others more important. Do nothing out of selfishness and look out for others' needs. That's what he's asked of us. Because that's what he did. In just a few minutes, we are going to partake of the Lord's Supper. It is at the Lord's Supper that Jesus, according to Paul, takes the bread and says, this is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant was not something that would have been a great uh, unknown idea to them. They had been looking for the new covenant ever since Jeremiah announced that someday there would be one. They had been looking for the new covenant. And Jesus says, this is it. This is the new covenant. So as we celebrate this morning, the Lord's Supper, my prayer is that for all of us, it will be more than an observance. It's not just a ritual we go through. It's not just something we do once a quarter or uh, to you know, stay in the good graces of uh, the denomination that we truly understand. He laid down his life. He set aside his glory. He emptied himself. He interposed himself to rescue us, as the hymn says, from danger. And he wounded himself that he might bless us. What a Lord. What a Savior. But when Paul says, when the Savior came, he saved us. So I'll ask our deacons to come as we will observe the Lord's Supper together. Rob, if you would come. Paul tells us that before we partake of the Lord's Supper, we should examine ourselves. Lest by partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, we eat and drink condemnation to ourselves. There's a lot of ideas about what that specifically means. Do you have to be perfect? I hope not, because well, it would remain untouched.
because nobody in here would qualify. Do you have to somehow expiate yourself of every possible wrong? Ah, you can't do that, neither can I. I think what he's talking about is, be sure we have rightly 